been pointing that out a, a few times. Remember chapter 9, verse 17. It says, For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Speaking of the Lord God, he's great and beautiful. I really believe Zechariah is kind of bringing in an aspect of God's work that we don't think of often enough. In theology, we kind of you know, think about um, getting it right, which is most important. You know, getting it right and understanding it and tackling challenging texts. And it can be very intellectual. In fact, we have this whole study of, of uh, theology. It's called systematic theology. And they all... Men will spend their whole life writing a good systematic theology. Sometimes they're one very thick tome and sometimes multiple volumes uh, to systematically lay out what the Bible teaches. Uh, But it kind of becomes more like a a science at that point. And it's better to kind of step back, or at least let's take systematic theology and step back and say, wow, that's beautiful. (laughs) This information, this data is gorgeous. And so there's this whole aesthetic value uh, to God's salvation and God's work. It's beautiful. Uh, How great his beauty. Uh, Zechariah 9, 11. And the, the word to the people recovering from the Babylonian exile in the book of Ezekiel, is largely encouraging. There's a lot of beautiful promises and repetition of beautiful promises that that the Lord is on your side, he's going to conquer, he will overcome, he's going to restore you, he's going to bless you, uh, he's going to bring you back together, and and he's going to be your protector. Rejoice, like look at chapter 9, I've been thinking about it, it'll come up. Verse 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's a little telescoping prophecy there, looking at Jesus, the great Messiah king, coming into Jerusalem. He literally rode a ridiculous donkey into Jerusalem Uh, which would be roughly 500 years from when this was written uh, into the future. And God's promising to protect them and to set up a guard and to keep... Look at verse 8 of chapter 9. These are the great promises. Then, this is God to God's people, then I will encamp at my house as a guard. Imagine the image there. God's going to come. Can we pretend that he has some kind of huge backpack and a beautiful tent? He's going to encamp there. He's going to set up his his encampment. Maybe it's more like an encampment that you see uh, on a battlefield. But he's going to be there, right? He's going to encamp at my house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro No oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. 9.8. See, these are gorgeous promises. Now I come to, boom, right? Perilous times. (laughs) Chapter 11 is um, 
a different story. Uh, it's, it's saying, well, before the gorgeous encampment of God and when he stops all oppressors from marching through Jerusalem ever, ever, ever again, before that happens, times are going to be extremely difficult. There's more trouble to come. There's more judgment to come. And, you know, let's just step back. Obviously, from a historical point of view, we know that to be 100% true because, again, we're roughly four to 500 B.C. here, just big round numbers, you know, 500 years before Christ. Has Jerusalem, you know, to ask the question is absurd. Has Jerusalem lived in absolute peace since that point of time? <laughs> no, no. I have the Jewish people suffered since that time. I mean, it's almost crazy to ask the question. They've suffered as much or more than any people group on this earth since that time. Uh, we don't even need to list them, but you know, they're, they're there, the historical realities. So, I mean, one could say, oh, ho, 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 ho. Chapter 9, verse 8, I will encamp in my house as a guard and no oppressor, blah, blah, blah. God's a liar. That didn't happen. Okay? Ah, but you have to read the whole text. (laughs) We come to chapter 11, and it does sort of sound like a bankruptcy thing. You're in chapter 11. Um, It is a major, not a corrective. It's not saying... I have to correct what I said. No, it's saying, well, there's a lot of history yet to happen. Okay? Uh, and so that's what we find in this brief chapter, sort of a lot of history yet to happen. Uh, let me read it, and then, uh, as is my Kate, uh, habit, we'll uh, open it up and see what I'm talking about. What it's talking about is actually what's more important. Okay. Open your doors. Oh, Lebanon. Okay. A little tiny geography lesson. I think you all know this. If you, you go to Israel, even today, up north of it is the nation of Lebanon. Uh, so they are north of Israel. This is saying, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, Oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus, says, thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, well, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I, and this is uh, Zechariah speaking, and sort of a, 
let's see, what's the word, uh, sort of a metaphorical way. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor, and actually that word Favor can mean beauty as well, lovely, uh, the favor, the grace of God. One I named Favor, and the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month, I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, and this is, he's speaking to the flock of the sheep of Israel. If it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who will not take care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd. And you know, there's that word. Woe to my worthless shepherd, who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye, let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. So there's the happy word of God for you today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and not so happy, not so, not so thrilling, but dead on, truthful, and honest. Uh, so let us pray. Oh, Father, as we've read this dark word from you, we, we don't want to pass over it on the buffet table, uh, but realize that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You've breathed it out, and therefore it is profitable. And Lord, we would, we would drink from this wine as well. So Lord, today, open our hearts, open our minds, help me to explain it in a way that's understandable, and then by your precious Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives. We've already been singing the glorious gospel and we come to you through Jesus. Uh, our sins have been forgiven by confessing them to you and knowing that Jesus died for our sins. So we come, O oh Lord, uh, seeking you today uh, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay.
Now, you might be you know, sort of overwhelmed and perhaps perplexed um, at this point, but it, it's really not all that difficult to understand what's going on with this text. Um, as long as you have a healthy point of view saying, I may not understand everything, okay, <laughs> at the same time, which is very, very healthy when you come to prophecies. It's better to say, we're pretty sure this is what it's talking about, but we don't have an exact, hard-on, uh, fast, systematic uh, explanation for everything here, okay? The, the basic idea here is that, you know, hey, Israel, I've promised salvation and blessing, and that's true, and it will come. But since you're still really unrepentant, since you're still really rejecting me, I know deeply in your heart, judgment is coming and fierce it will be. And, and you will suffer a lot over the centuries as, as we know it now. Um, I want to start then with this. It's a reference to a verse in the Bible. It's 2 Timothy 3, 1. Uh, and in the King James, which I was raised with, it says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times. Dangerous and scary and difficult times. Now, this is a, this is a word from God. This is the holy word of God. He's essentially giving us fair warning. You know, God doesn't promise us that everything's going to be wonderful and fine. That's nowhere promised. That is the promise. Everything will be wonderful and fine, but it's not like now and when we want it at the snap of our fingers, right? Uh, because there's a lot of suffering before that time. I'll give you a little uh, lesson. Uh, ooh, shucks. I don't think the black worked too well there, but that's okay. Uh, the, this, is, here, this is the word kairoi. This is from the Greek text. Kairoi is times and this... This kalepoi, kalepoi is the word difficult. And here you can't read it. It says fierce, harsh, and you can see the word, it's dark and difficult. I meant it that way, actually. <laughs> kalepoi. This is the word of God. This is the, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm not being silly. I mean, this is what God wants us to think about today. We need this in our minds as well. That calipoi times are coming, which are fierce, harsh, and, and difficult. Um, and that's what this passage is all about. So we open with the first part of it. Um, we have, you know, open your gates, O Lebanon. Uh, this kind of reminds you, if you're a Bible student, it should sort of ring Psalm 24 in your head. Uh, which you, I had to look it up too. But Psalm 24 is the one that says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. It is glorious, beautiful, predictive prophecy uh, that Jesus Christ is coming. And uh, as part of that, uh, riding on a donkey, he's coming in, your King is coming, shout hallelujah. And I think some of that language is brought into uh, Zechariah 11, but it changes it. Open your doors, O Lebanon. What, what's going to happen? The fire, so that the fire may devour your cedars. And if we know something about fire here in California, uh, we had one of the, 
the biggest fires we ever had just this past season. Uh, and it was down south where we have these, these winds they call the Santa Ana winds, named after a, a, a Mexican a war uh, general who moved fast and furious. And the Santa Anas blow in hot wind off of the dry desert and they just, high miles per hour, just fan the flame coming down. And that's the idea here. You know, oh, Lebanon, uh, open your doors because much trouble is coming. Um, it, up in Zechariah 9, which I've already read a bit, God said, I'm going to take care of that northern corridor and I'm going to shut it down and so no more pr- trouble is going to come. But here he's saying, but I also want you to know that for, for the time being, trouble is still coming from that direction. This is a poetic description of the fall of God's people. It will all come crashing down. It starts in Lebanon, moves down through the cedars, now, and then there's a personification of the trees here. Wail, O Cypress, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. And then it's coming a little bit further south into the northern regions of Israel, Bashan. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. I thought a little bit of the Ents in uh, Lord of the Rings. And here's the hobbits talking to Treebeard, the Ent. And here's the face of him as he sees Isengard, where the evil uh, forces are felling trees and burning the trees to uh, create their weapons of warfare and hatred. A little bit like this, a little personification of trees that God, even before Tolkien, thought was a good idea. (laughs) You know, the trees are upset, and then that comes right down into the thicket of the Jordan and the roar of the lions, upset that their habitat is ruined. The, the, the concept of the judgment is coming. Be prepared. Now, let's look at the next paragraph here. This is uh, a call to Zechariah to become a leader. He's, he's now leading this flock that are still unrepentant, even though they've been restored and God's been gracious to them, still they are not fully repentant. A lot of times we do that. We, we repent of sin, we're sorry for sin, but do we really understand how, how our sin is before God and how unholy we really are and how we need to fully repent? And the Bible says, abhor what is evil, hate what is evil. Don't play around with it. Abhor it. Strong words uh, that I even used last week in my sermon. And that's what's going on here. See verse 4. Look at it again. It says, Thus says the Lord my God. This is God to Zechariah. Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. He's there to, to lead them. This group of sheep doomed to the slaughter. And sometimes you and I become that role in other people's lives. Like we are there to speak the word of God to them even though they will not listen, even though they won't care at all what you're saying to them. Look at as it lays out here in the text. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. These are the 
the wicked people that God is bringing in to punish the people of Israel, those who have unrepented of their sin. And those who sell them say, oh, blessed be the Lord. This is in, in, in irony and cynicism. They don't believe in the Lord. Uh, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I, and this is God speaking, verse 6, for I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land. This is a huge warning to all of us. You know, at some point, God will no longer have pity on you. He's mercifully calling you to himself. And at some point, if you continue to resist, if I continue to resist, he will withdraw his mercy and kindness. And you know what the Bible says is then he just turns you over to your own sin. He, he lets you go. If you want sin, take it. And sin becomes sort of its own horrible punishment. Uh, on, on, and you, you, we should say, Lord, God, no, give me that tender heart that says, I repent, I, I hate it, and give me more hatred for my own sinfulness that I may change. And so th- this is sobering words in verse 6, for I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares Yahweh. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. The people of Israel are simply doomed at this point. Uh, And it sounds catastrophic. It is. We know that the promises are still true, and some, the Bible calls them a remnant, a remnant will be delivered uh, from this horrible judgment, But see, this actually, honestly, explains all of that horrendous history uh, that the Jewish people, and even, honestly, all people are cursed because of sin. All of the suffering, all the pain uh, in this world is because of our unrepentant heart. As hard as that is to believe, that is the truth. And honestly, without without that feature, you'll never understand the world. You just come to the conclusion that it's all absurd and that, you know, just horrible random things happened. I walked down the street and an anvil fell on me. No reason at all, right? Uh, only in a, in a comic strip does somebody survive that. Um, but the Bible's saying, no, there's reason behind it all. God has a plan uh, for it all, and it is his plan. N- now, look, look at here. Um, Reading on into verse 7. So I became, and this is, um, oh, I wanted to read a a little bit here. So I became shepherd of the flock. I was making a point earlier how sometimes you and I will actually be that spokesperson to somebody. We will will desire them to come to, to faith in Jesus Christ. But our role is actually that they will not come to faith. But we have a role in them rejecting the gospel one other time, one last time, perhaps. Uh, and this is very biblical. Look at uh, Ezekiel 3 in the uh, commission of Ezekiel. I have a grandson, Ezekiel. Great, great prophet. The book of Ezekiel is fantastic, I'm just gorgeous. Um, and Ezekiel 3, look at this is his calling and his commissioning. Ezekiel 3, 1 through 11. 
And he said to me, son of man, by the way, Ezekiel's called son of man a whole bunch. I'll say a hundred times uh, in the book of Ezekiel. It's kind of interesting because only the other person called that is Jesus all the time. Um, son of man, you know, human connection. Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll. Let's say devour the word of God. Eat it and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For You are not sent to a people of foreign speech or a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? To be a really successful pastor in the U.S., it's really helpful if you have like an English accent or something. You know? <laughs> oh, whatever he says, it's just profound. It's amazing because he said it with that English accent. <laughs> but when it's just plain old American English, <laughs> anyway, not always the case. Just a funny observation. Um, verse 7. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. Here, Ezekiel, I want you to go over there and preach to the people, but they will not be willing to listen to you. Their flock doomed to be destroyed. They will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. That's really the point. They're not willing to listen to God, so they're clearly not going to be listening to you if you're speaking to them my words. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart, Behold, I have made your face as hard as theirs, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Uh, Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. (laughs) So, yeah, we got to know the truth so well uh, that we can be the extreme minority, and we're still standing up for the truth with our, uh, you know, God made hard foreheads. Uh, Fear them not nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Two more verses. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you receive in your heart and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. We don't stop speaking the word of God because the person... uh, does not want to hear or will not repent. Uh, We want to speak to them as long as God gives us an opportunity. So that's the role that Zechariah has. But what happens now, uh, this center paragraph, verses 7 through 14, becomes a history telescope. And Zechariah disappears and he becomes Jesus Christ the Messiah who was betrayed by Judas for, for what, remember? 30 pieces of silver. Remember? This is where this comes from. Um, and it's, it's showing that the Jews reject their Messiah, again, some 500 years in the future, uh, 
They reject the, their Messiah, and then that's happening 33 AD, and then by 70 AD, the rebuilt temple, the big second temple, is destroyed in, in outrage and anger by the Romans. Uh, and now for this whole period of time, the Jews have not had a temple up to today. They have not been able to keep their own religion. They have uh, 613 commandments in the book of Moses, the writings of Moses, and they can't keep oh, most of them, the profound majority of them. They can't do their religion. They can't do their faith because they have no temple. And, and the, the Orthodox Jews long for the day of a reconstructed temple. Uh, and actually, the book of Ezekiel, the last, I think it's eight chapters, describes a rebuilt temple uh, that is really wild. I mean, it's like, wow, what is that going to be and how is that going to all happen? Interesting. Okay, let me read then through this text and, and make some thoughts about it. So they're simply doomed. And verse 7, so I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And he, he takes these two staffs, uh, you know, shepherd crooks, and he calls one favor and the other he calls union, and he's tending the sheep. In one month, I destroyed the three shepherds. Okay, huge speculation about this sentence. The truth is this is one of those features we don't know. We don't know who the three shepherds are. Many good speculations. I don't like speculation. So I'll just say, okay, we don't know. <laughs> just put it this way. A lot of leadership change during times of crisis. Uh, he destroyed three shepherds. But I be- Look, verse 8. But I became impatient with them, and, and they detested me. I, I, I thought this was interesting. The, here's leadership in times of trouble, and Zechariah is trying to say, you guys must repent and turn from your sin. And uh, he becomes impatient with them, right? I became impatient with them. Easy to do. But then they detest him. Uh, they, they just looked at God's new leadership. And here we're getting into the telescope because they certainly detested Jesus. And he became a little impatient with them in a loving sense. He says, I wish I could have pulled you into my hug and embrace, but you would not come to me. But they detest Jesus. They detest the word of God. They detest the prophet. And, you know, here's, you know, danger, danger for you, beloved Christian. You identify with Jesus you will automatically have enemies, and, and some people will just detest you because you stand for something that calls them to repentance. You, call, you stand for something that says, you have to live for God, and there is a future, <laughs> and there is a past. And actually, history is linear. It's going somewhere. It's not just a circle, the circle of life. It, you know, break the circle, make it a line, it's going somewhere. And so all of that and more, much more, is involved with what's going on here. They detest, they detest Jesus, they detest the Word of God, they detest... They don't, they don't have a neutral response. So I have some really, really good friends in... in uh, believe it or not, I actually have some friends. <laughs> I have some really good friends in, in India. Um, and... This, they sent me this video that just happened a few days ago 
before you click on the speaker, let me explain what's going on. This is in a, the southern part of India. It happened a few days ago. And it's a group of men speaking the language of Telugu, which is the big state of Andhra Pradesh, which has actually been subdivided now. I think the other state's called Telangana or something like that. Um, and they've, they've come upon several boxes of Bibles. I suspect the guy in the white car, which is an older gentleman, might have gotten them through, the sh- like captured them in shipping, possibly. Uh, but what they're going to do, they're going to open the books and see what happens. Go ahead, click. Make sure my volume's up. Okay, so two-minute video, pretty sobering. Eh? This is just about a hundred miles from Pastor Lazarus, and we pray for. We send him a little bit of money every month. Uh, These dear brothers in Christ uh, are out beating the streets, witnessing and giving out Bibles, and it's a very hostile environment. These are Hindus who who, uh, the whole state of India is in this this turn away from Christianity, politically speaking, and toward Hindustan. India is for Hindus. Uh, and less and less and less tolerant. So we want to pray for our brothers, and we should pray for these folks as well, that they'd come to the Lord. In fact, let me pause in my sermon and do that. Father, we do pray for our dear brothers, many, many millions of Christians in India, in Andhra Pradesh particularly. Uh, We know the gospel has been preached there uh, for centuries, really, and there are many, many Christians there, many little tiny churches, but... There's so much hatred, and they detest you, and they detest your word, O oh Lord, and, and they, can, they can get violent. So we pray, O oh Lord, for protection for our brothers. We pray for progress of the gospel, 
And we pray for these men who are burning your word. Lord, would you uh, work in their hearts and grant them repentance. And maybe one of them could even pull out a charred Bible and read it, Lord, we pray. So we commit this to you, and we pray for strength in Jesus' name. Amen. So I played that. I got it this week, uh, and I thought it was a good illustration of people who just detest God and uh, do not want him to rule or to speak to them, uh, and this is very universal. So the prophet says, because of this, because you've been rejecting all these prophets all of these years, and you're going to reject the prophet, Jesus Christ, uh, because of that, God is going to break this staff he calls favor, crack it. Um, Let's read that. Let's see. Verse 9. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. Now, this is harsh, horrible words, but this is literally the words of God to his people that explains all of the, the rejection. He, he, he will condemn those who reject him. Uh, this is a huge warning for all of us. God gives us opportunities to repent. Take the opportunity. Capitalize on it. Verse 10, so I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. God is gracious to all peoples. He's slow to wrath, slow to anger. He's slow to wrath for me. He's slow to wrath for you. He's slow to wrath for his chosen people. But there does, that doesn't mean that he never exercises his wrath. So he breaks that, that stick And then comes the interesting uh, situation with these 30 pieces of silver. Again, this is telescoping. Uh, Zechariah and the people who hear this don't really know what's going on, but we understand it. Uh, But look at, hear the word of God then. Uh, And this is actually Jesus speaking to his own people. He says, then I said to them, Zechariah does this, but he's in the person, he, as he said, he does not know this, but he becomes Jesus here. If he stands in the place, metaphorically, as Jesus. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. You know, you people of Israel, what, what is the Messiah worth to you? He says, if you don't even want to pay me, don't pay me. If not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. This is the price established by Moses for a killed slave. If, you, if, if your ox kills your neighbor's slave, you have to give him 30 pieces of silver. It's not a high price. It's a low price uh, for Jesus. I actually found 30 pieces of silver on the internet. Um, but look at, look at how the text puts it. 30, and this, see, again, this is what Judas paid to betray, uh, was paid to betray Jesus. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. And here's this, God is being cynical, sarcastic. The lordly price at which I was priced by them. It, it, it's so little, just give it away, throw it out to the, the potter who makes these pots that are worth very little and they break so frequently. Give it to the potter. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord. See, this is exactly what Judas did. Uh, 
when he, he had the money, he just hated the money. He took it back to the temple and threw it on the floor. And it says, to the potter. And uh, what happened was the Jewish leaders gathered up the money and said, we, we can't keep this money. It's blood money. So we're going to, uh, let's go buy a field. This potter has this bit of ground out here for sale where he's been throwing out his broken pots all these years. We'll buy that and we'll use it as a place to bury people who have no better place to be buried. So all of that comes through. Um, Read a, a little commentary on this. This is like the earlier prophecy of the king. This prophecy of the shepherd is remarkable for its literal fulfillment. The 30 pieces of silver were literally the goodly price paid for him whom they of the children of Israel did value. The potter was literally the recipient of it as the purchase money of his exhausted field for an unclean purpose was made. So wild and interesting telescopic prophecy saying that this story is not done yet. So then he breaks the second staff, his staff of union. Everything's falling apart uh, at this time. And then, then, and then comes the last paragraph, which gets, it ends even darker. Um, you know, what, what's happening now? This seems to me and to many Bible teachers to point ahead to the very, very, very end. There will be one more ultimate leader of Israel who's going to be really horrible and he's known in the Bible as the Antichrist or the beast and he's going to rule over Israel for a time period uh, scriptural backing for this is Daniel 9 24 through 27 I'm out of time so give you that reference and Revelation 13 and 2 Thessalonians 2 1 through 4 but listen to the word of God here. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd. You're going to have one last horrible leader who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd. And I think that's profound. It points to the absolute sovereignty of God. This is his plan. It's, it's his worthless shepherd. You know, so when, when we have uh, lowly leaders that we can hardly believe that that's our leader, a person doing that and saying this and uh, calling this to happen and making that to happen, you know, this is God's judgment on people. That's one of the ways he judges people, by giving them horrendous leaders and he will raise up. And he, he pronounces a woe on his own worthless leader. The Antichrist is raised up by God to do his particular work. Some images about uh, he will rise up and say he's God and you know, all kinds of horrible things will happen. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Uh, let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. This is poetic saying God will judge him uh, at the right time and in the right way. I want to close with three thoughts then with a little tiny bit of scripture too. Why is this here? As I said, it's a sober reminder uh, of life's realities. We don't preach a gospel that says 
if you believe this and behave yourself, then everything's going to be fantastic and no one will ever suffer again. Not, not the case at all. In fact, the Bible clearly predicts that suffering is in the future. So where do we go with this? First of all, why does he warn us? Uh, he, I think he does not want us to wig out. Okay? Get, don't get crazy and go off base. We know this is going to happen. We should not be shocked by it. Um, look with me at John chapter 16, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Difficult passage, but wonderful at the same time. John 16, 32 and 33. Uh, Jesus is telling them about uh, difficult times coming. He says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we don't wig out, we don't panic, we don't, uh, we don't give in to wild speculations. You know, the internet's just full of wild speculations about the end of the world and uh, when it's going to happen. The Bible says no one will know exactly when this is happening until it really starts to happen. It could happen in our lifetime. It could be another thousand years we, or more. We, just, we have no idea when this is going to happen. So when somebody comes up with some sort of formula that tells you exactly when it's going to happen, you know they're wrong right off the top. So honestly, I, I beg you as your pastor, don't go that way. It's, it's, it's speculation. And they'll, they'll weave all these kind of you know, facts together. I call that wigging out. Okay, don't don't wig out. You know, say, hang in there. God said, you know, you won't know, uh, and you don't need to know. You just need to know it is going to happen. And here's the really the big thing that should go with us all the time is that is set your affections on eternal things. Uh, we need to be people who love what lasts. Uh, Colossians chapter three is just gorgeous with this. Colossians 3, it says, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. See, on the earth, everything will be destroyed. The Bible actually says the entire earth and heavens will be destroyed. And then there will be a new heaven and, and new earth. There's really only two things the Bible says literally last, and that's people and the word of God. People. So we should invest in people. You know, let's not fill our house with garbage and, and forget that we, have, we should love people. Let's fill our house with people <laughs> or fill our lives with people and set our affections on things that are eternal and, and the word of God, giving them the word of God. Even those guys might burn the word on a side street in Andhra Pradesh, uh, but they don't set it back one, one bit. It is always there. It will not perish. And then finally, of course, spread the gospel. <laughs> you know, again, we don't know when this huge interruption will, will occur. It could be very, very soon. So we love people by telling them the truth. We love them by saying, you can be saved. You can, be, you can know you're right with God right now by simple faith. The you know, glorious words of the gospel are, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Uh, your, your sins are forgiven, you'll be forgiven and loved forever. 
Jude 23 says this, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Text open with, open your gates, Lebanon. The fire is coming in, the fire of God's judgment. It is coming in, um, and we don't know when. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this is a wonderful text. It's not quite as happy as the other ones, but we know it's absolutely true, and you want us to be people who know the truth, who are not alarmed, uh, not flabbergasted, not confused by what is happening, what, by what has happened in history. Uh, but we see that it is predicted ag- exactly, and Lord, we want to hold on to you. And most of all, we pray these three things, that we, none of us will wig out, but we'll trust you through this, and we will know that in Jesus we can have peace. In the world we have tribulation. And help us to set our affections. Help us not to have our hearts run away loving the wrong things, the wrong people. Lord, help us to set our affections on things that are above, that are eternal. And then finally, Lord, help us to spread the gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and